Well, join me now, if you would, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we will pick up in verse 17 this morning. Uh, Before we do that, though, I want to start by asking a few questions about your status and your life situation. And I kind of worked through several elements of uh, what we might call your status. And as we do that, I just want you to think how you feel about each of those uh, elements of your status. So maybe we could begin this morning uh, with this. What is your gender status? Are you male? Are you female? What's your education status? For some of you, you may go, well, the highest diploma I can hold in my hand is my uh, kindergarten graduation, my K-5 diploma. And there may be others of you here in this room and you've got a master's degree. We may even have some people in here this morning who have doctorates and PhDs. We could also speak of your marital or your family status. Uh, Some of you are single, as we talked about last week, and others of you are married. Some of you uh, have been divorced or widowed, and uh, and whatever uh, state you are there in terms of marriage, that could also be a happy situation or it could be a very difficult one. And then we could also speak of your age status. We have children, teenagers, adults, uh, seniors, those who might consider themselves to be young and those who might consider themselves to be old. And no doubt you also have some kind of health status. Some of you sit here and to the best of your knowledge, you're quite healthy and you really have no limitations in terms of your health. You can basically do whatever it is that you want. And others of you would say, actually, I'm sick or disabled or there's something about my health that's extremely limitating and often that's very uh, frustrating to me. We could speak of your occupational or employment status. You may be unemployed and you may find that very, very frustrating or you may be Uh, underemployed or perhaps you are employed in blue collar work or white collar work maybe you're pretty high up uh, in the scheme of things wherever you work or maybe you're actually down there really low and there along with that is your financial status Uh, there are probably some people here who are much wealthier than the average person in the room there are no doubt many many people in this room who would fall into middle class and we may even have some who you might feel that you are poor, or at least in relation to the others in this room. And we would all have some kind of racial, ethnic status, at least in the eyes of the world around us. Uh, People would see you through some kind of lens, probably based on your race or your ethnicity. And along similar lines, you've got some kind of citizenship status. Most of you are probably citizens of Canada, and there are others of you who are citizens of the United States, or perhaps Germany, or India, or perhaps the Philippines. And we might also speak of your influence status. Just think for a moment, how many lives does your life touch in the course of a year? I mean, like if you had to put a number on that, I think, well, I mean, (laughs) I don't really go that many places. I go to my job, I go to my church, and, and maybe go, actually, like my life probably touches maybe 50 people in a year. Or, or maybe some of you would say, yeah, I'm like big time on the internet. I influence thousands of people every year. I've got a huge, huge influence. Which, if any, if any of those things about your status, would you change if you could? Maybe you feel that uh, like, like something about your status limits you, or in one way or another, it's an impediment, or that you would need something about some element of your status to change in order for you to be happy or to be content, or to be satisfied, or actually even to be useful in God's service. Some people tell themselves that their situation 
is a hindrance to their service to God. And you might be telling yourself that. You might be saying, you know, if I could serve, I, I could serve God so much better and, and make such a larger impact and do so much for God and be so much more godly or spiritual in the Lord's service if, you know, if I was just married and I had someone to lead me or I had somebody to help me or, you know, I am married, but if my spouse was just, I don't know, like you fill in the blank, I can think of a few things. And we were actually spiritual partners. Right now it's like we're yoked together and we're pulling in two different directions and that's so limiting and, and, limiting and frustrating spiritually. Or I could be so much more spiritual or used by God if being a husband or wife didn't take so much time and energy. It's like a full-time job. Or if raising kids uh, wasn't a, a full-time, all-consuming endeavor or responsibility, then I could really serve God. Or actually, I, I really just think if I had more money or a better job or a nicer house, that would enable me to do more. You know, maybe I could then practice Christian hospitality in a way that I, I can't do right now. Or if I've just been given more opportunities growing up for education and learning the Bible and what the Christian life looks like. Or if I didn't grow up in a family that was so stinking broken and messed up and full of problems. Or if I was healthy and strong. Or if I was young and vivacious and all of those things. And I, I, could, I could just, yeah, I could do a lot more. I'd be better. I'd be more spiritual. We're in the middle of a section in 1 Corinthians where Paul is addressing the Corinthians' status. He's doing that throughout this entire chapter, chapter 7. And it seems uh, that when the Corinthians came to Christ, some of them may have thought that a change in some aspect of their status was needed to be more spiritual. Maybe a change in their marital status or their ethnic status, whether they were a Jew or a Gentile or their socioeconomic status. And what Paul encourages the Corinthians, he says, guys, listen, Stay as you are. Because God can use your current situation. You, what you need to do is you need to live your life. The life that God has given you. Live your life for God. At the end of verse 17, Paul says that he has a basic rule or principle that he teaches in all the churches. It's not unique to Corinth. This is everywhere for all of God's people. And he states that basic rule or principle three times in this passage. It's his theme. And we see it first in verse 17. We read, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. And then he states, This is my rule in all the churches. And he's going to state that rule or principle again in verse 20, where he says, Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. The condition he was in in which God called him to salvation. And then he's going to repeat it one time more in verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, Called to salvation. There let him remain with God. What's the operating principle? Well, it's this. Remain in the condition or situation that you were, that you were in at the time that God called you to salvation. And as we'll see, he's not forbidding any kind of change in your life or in your status. Rather, he's making the point, it's really a theological point with huge practical implications that you don't need to change something about your situation to make a maximum uh, impact as a Christian. You might be thinking, yeah, I just really need some change. And the change that you need, God says, you know what, that change has actually already happened. 
It happened when God called you to salvation, when he summoned you from death to life and he made you new. That's the change that you needed and it's already happened and God can use your current situation so live your life for God. Let's read all the way through this text beginning in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of his circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This morning we're going to look at six practices of maximum impact Christians. And the first practice is this, accept what God assigned you. That's what's taught there in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Uh, We might read the first part of that verse like this. Let each person thus walk or walk in this manner or in this way as the Lord divided to each. That's kind of some clunky language, but I think it, it helps capture an idea that God has Uh, divided out or he has apportioned out lots. This is the kind of thing a host or a hostess might do when they invite you over for dinner or or dessert and uh, maybe you've all eaten dinner together and then the host or hostess goes back into the kitchen, brings out a pie, brings that pie over the table and takes a knife or some utensil and begins to cut that pie into eight pieces or maybe four. I mean, that could be nice. And the, but the, the hostess, host or hostess cuts this pie, uh, divides that pie in pieces, and then begins piece by piece to distribute it to each person there at the table. That's what God has done. That's what's being spoken about in verse 17. God has divided out and he has assigned you a lot. Note from verse 17 that God's allotment is both sovereign and individual. And you need to accept God's sovereign allotment. In verse 17, God is the one who assigns and then distributes lots. He's the one who does that. That means that there is nothing about your status, situation, or scenario that's somehow accidental or when God was doing things, he overlooked that part and made a mistake. Rather, What you have and all that you have is something that God very intentionally gave you. That means that God is sovereign over your marital status. You came to Christ and maybe you looked back and thought, man, what a mess. And here I am today. God is sovereign over your health status. He's sovereign over your economic status and all the rest. And what God wants you to do is accept his sovereign allotment. And you need to accept his individual allotment. I would draw your attention there in verse 17 to the word each. Let each person. 
lead the life or walk the life that the Lord has assigned, and then notice this, to him, and to which God has called him. The emphasis in, in there in verse 17 very much comes to focus on the individual. The king of heaven and earth handcrafted and cut out a lot for you specifically. For you as an individual. It's individual, it's specific to you. And that means that my assignment, my lot, and yours are different. And all of ours, are they're different. Yours is different than mine and mine than yours. And what that means is that none of us should be looking over the fence and go, wow, like my life really stinks. I really wish I had that person's. Your status is perfect because it was given to you by God. Because God can use your current situation, you need to accept what God has assigned you. And maybe what some of you need to do is actually something very simple, but, but enormous at the same time. Maybe some of you just need to bow before God, your creator and Lord, and just tell God, God, I accept your providence. You are the king. You have distributed lots and I accept mine as from your hand. I accept my assignment. I accept my lot. I accept my status that you have given me. And some people are, are like a restless wind or a drifting raft because they never learn to accept what God has given them. You will never uh, be a maximum impact Christian if you don't come to that point. It's a huge hang-up. It will stop you dead in your tracks from making a huge, huge spiritual impact. Second practice of maximum impact Christians. Learn what counts and what doesn't. In this text, Paul gives two specific examples of his main point. And his first example is circumcision and something that would have very much made sense to the people to whom he spoke to. Maybe it would be a little bit lost on us. But circumcision was extremely important to the Jewish people. In fact, in some ways, I think it would be hard for us to overstate just how significant it was. Why? Well, in the Old Testament, circumcision was the sign of the covenant. It was the sign that the Jewish people were God's people. It was a big, big deal. Socially, religiously, ethnically. And so for positive or negative, circumcision said something about you in the world in which Paul was speaking. Look at verse 18. Paul says, was anyone at the time of his call? And he's talking about the time that you uh, put your trust in Christ, the time that God summoned you to salvation at that moment. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of his circumcision. They, they had a practice in that day that, that could actually do that to some degree. And then he asked, was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. Paul asked, what condition were you in when God called you to salvation? Whatever that condition was, don't change it because it's actually completely irrelevant to your usefulness for the Lord. Status counts for absolutely nothing Look at verse 19. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Your social status, your ethnic status, your marital status, your economic status counts for absolutely nothing when it comes to pleasing God and being used by Him. It doesn't count, to put that in perspective, it doesn't count for what we would call your justification. It has nothing to do with God declaring you righteous and you being saved. 
It has nothing to do with your sanctification, you growing in your Christ-likeness to look more like him. And it has nothing to do with your eternal impact. It's completely irrelevant to those things. Status counts for absolutely nothing. And on the flip side of that, obedience is everything. Look at verse 19 again. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Keeping the commandments of God is everything, Paul says. You want to live a maximum impact Christian life? Is that your desire? You want, you want to do something for Jesus? You want to make an eternal impact? Well, Paul says it in some ways is really, really simple. Devote yourself to keeping God's commandments. And do you remember how Jesus summarized that? Summarized by this, love God and love others. And if you do those things, you've kept the law and the prophets. It's the whole package deal. Love God and love others. If you do that, you'll make an impact wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, whatever your status. And you can do those things and live that way with or without a spouse, with or without a godly spouse, with or without a saved spouse. You can do that with or without a degree, with or without an education. You can do that with or without money. You can do that with or without health. Status becomes irrelevant. In some ways, it reminds me of of, uh, first-time parents who are trying to decide what baby gear they're going to need for their soon-to-be-born child. And maybe some of you remember being in that scenario. You found out, all right, Eight months, we're going to have a baby. What do we need to do to get the house ready? What all stuff do we need? And you go to the store and you go to the baby section and there's just all kinds of amazing things. And uh, you see all kinds of things that might be really, really nice to have and you may not really know if you need them or not because you've never been down this road before. But many of those things you really don't need at all. I mean, you just, you don't, right? So, for example, 50 pairs of shoes for your baby. Well, I mean... what that really is, is like an accessory, right? Because babies don't need shoes because babies don't walk. (laughs) So all those nice shoes, like that might be tons of fun, but you don't actually need them. Uh, You go, oh, a baby bathtub. I haven't even thought, yeah, we'll probably bathe our child. Like we probably need one of those. Well, no, you actually already have one of those. It's called a kitchen sink. Like you probably don't need to go buy that tub. And then you're walking down the aisle. Look at this thousand dollar baby monitor. It comes with 12 cameras. You can see your baby in the crib or the pack and play from literally every angle. And yet it comes with Wi-Fi. Well, do you realize that if you watch your baby from 12 different angles all night long, that you are never going to sleep? (laughs) And then you walk and you get to the strollers and look at that, or or, or the chairs and the swings. And look at this $1,500 vibrating, orbiting chair that just moves your baby around. That's going to take up... Six square feet of floor space in your living room. And then you get to the strollers. This is amazing. They've come so far since when I was a baby. It's got a backup camera and it's got surround sound. I mean, this is the whole package deal and it's your child, right? So spare no expense. What do you need to keep your newborn alive is the question, right? What what you need is not a $1,000 baby monitor. You talk to any long-time parent, they're like, save your money. You're going to need $10,000 worth of diapers. (laughs) And actually what's needed more than anything is you think about a a, a newborn child. 
you know, you, you can have those things, but actually you need a few basic things. But what's needed any more than absolutely anything else is your loving sacrifice as a parent. Because what that baby is going to need is that baby's going to need you to get up out of bed four times a night, go grab them and feed them. They're going to need you to repeatedly change the $10,000 worth of diapers. The need is not all the fancy accessories, it's sacrificial love. And I think that we could very easily take that parallel to the Christian life because the same thing is true of living a high-impact Christian life. You don't need a change in some aspect of your status. You don't need all the stuff of status. What's needed is obedience to God's commands. What's needed is sacrificial love and you recognizing I'm a slave of Christ and I'm going to sacrificially give my life to him and I'm going to sacrificially love other people. You want to make an impact, then it comes down to obeying God's commands, loving God and loving other people. And what maximum impact Christians get right and what they get straight is their priorities. What what becomes a priority is actually not status per se, even though they may have it, and in some ways they may even pursue that as God gives them opportunities. But what becomes the key priority is obedience. Given this reality, Paul drives home his theme again, There in verse 20, he says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Your status in terms of you serving God and you being used by God, that stuff's just, that's not the stuff that makes an impact. Because God can use your current situation, what God wants you to do, he wants you to live your life for him. The life that he's assigned you. You need to learn what counts and what doesn't and uh, these verses, I, I think, apply in so, so many ways. Uh, you don't need to change what you're doing for a living. You don't need to change your occupation when you come to Christ unless that work somehow breaks God's commands. Are, are, are you going and working a, a job that, that is lawful, God-honoring work? Nothing about that needs to change. It also means that you can do outwardly religious things like maybe the Jewish people were prone to do. Well, you've got to get circumcised and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And you can go through all sorts of religious routines and different things and not actually be keeping God's commands. Religious activity is not equivalent to spiritual, spirituality. And along similar lines, your outward status or circumstance is not necessarily a good indicator of your consecration to Jesus Christ. Your material possessions... Your occupation, your family situation, how important you are or aren't in society. Those things do not necessarily depict in any way your consecration to God. Do you know what does? Obedience does. I think it's a reminder as well that as we look at our society, upward climbing, it's, it's, it's sacred in our culture. Right? People are intentionally making career moves to climb up the ladder or do this and that. And, and that's not necessarily wrong, right? Uh, and Paul's going to talk about that in just a moment. But what you do for a living is, is really irrelevant. It's not that big of a deal, so don't make it your life. Don't trade climbing up a ladder for obedience to Christ. Is all your energy going towards status in a way that detracts from obedience? I mean, you you could climb a ladder and and be extremely obedient to Christ. It's not that they're mutually exclusive. But sometimes the one drives us away from the other. And that is not good, healthy, or right. 
And I would ask you this, have you attached the spiritual significance of yourself or other people to anything that is irrelevant related to status? We talk about the racism in our world. Do do we attach status to race? That's wrong. Do you you attach uh, spiritual significance to one's marital status or their wealth or their occupation? Do you do that with yourself? Christian impact does not hinge on my race, my education, my status, period. Third practice of maximum impact Christians. We're focusing, we'll spend most of our time here on the first three and hit the last three much quicker. Here's number three. Don't worry about what you can't change. Look at verse 21. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. Paul turns our attention now to a second example of his point, and it's slavery. Slavery was common in the ancient world. In fact, probably over 50%, maybe well over 50% of the people walking around Corinth would have either been slaves at that moment or former slaves who had gained their freedom. Slavery in Paul's day was in many ways different than what might immediately come to our mind. But even with those differences, the simple fact remains that if you were a slave, that meant you were owned by somebody else. And you were responsible and accountable to somebody else whenever they wanted you to be. You were bound. And with that binding, with with that comes a great degree of limitation. What might you be tempted to think if God called you to salvation as a slave? I mean, put yourself back in Corinth. You're a slave, and maybe your slave situation is actually relatively good even. Your master treats you very good. Your master gives you some free time. Um, Compared to other situations, yours yours is a little bit better than than most. Not ideal. Not even right per se, but maybe better than most. And and you come to Christ, you work for a very wealthy master who treats you very, very good. And God saves you. And all of a sudden you're new. And you go, wow, I'm Christ's slave now. And I want to live for him. And I want to give my life to him. And I want to do things for Jesus. And, you, and then you look at your scenario and you go, well, I can't do anything. And you look at your life and you go, well, you know, maybe if I wasn't a slave and I, was a, and I had my freedom, maybe I could travel around with Paul and, and he could train me and he could teach me and he could drop me off in this city and that city and I could minister and I'd be free to do that. Or, you know, maybe if I wasn't a slave... I would have time to serve as a deacon in my church, but right now, I mean, I, I can hardly even make it to the weekly gathering. It's like I make it one week, I can't make it the next because my master wants me there cooking breakfast for everybody. And I, I just, it's like I, I can't seem to even get out of this house for an hour at a time or maybe two. There's just all kinds of limitations on what I can do. Or if I wasn't a slave, you know, maybe I could gain my freedom and earn a little bit of money and have my own home and my own place and I could invite people over and I could love them in my house and I could minister to them and I could serve them and I could try to help other people grow if I just wasn't a slave. I could do so much for God. And what does God have to say to that? He says, did I call you to salvation as a slave? Yeah, you did. Well, look at verse 21. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. 
Do not be concerned about it. Don't worry about what you can't change. These things are not worthy of your worry. Don't be concerned about your status. Remember, there's no correlation between your status and maximum Christian impact. The point would be something like this. Serve God with your limitations. Perhaps you've told yourself that some aspect of your status uh, is a limitation. It is an impediment to serving God or an impediment to making an impact for Christ. And that's just not true. Stop lying to yourself and serve God where he's placed you in whatever condition you may be in. Uh, This week, I uh, had one of my shotguns out. And I was switching out uh, the choke at the end of the barrel. If you're not familiar with with, uh, how shotguns work, the choke is a little cylinder that basically screws into the end of the barrel. And chokes come in different sizes. My shotgun came with three chokes. And what a choke does is you screw it into the end of the barrel. It actually ends up narrowing the diameter of the end of the barrel. And the impact of that is as the shot is fired, as the shot comes uh, flying through the barrel... Uh, by narrowing and constraining the barrel at the end, it, it determines how widely the shot spreads out of the gun or how narrow, and it can determine how far you can shoot with accuracy, all sorts of things like that. And so it's actually extremely, extremely helpful and at times quite advantageous to use a narrow choke to ensure your shot makes a desired impact maybe further out. As you look at your status, some of you may feel that God is choking you. He's constraining you. My health is such a constraint. It's like God has put me in this position and he's like he's choking me down and I just want to get up out of this chair. I want to get up out of this bed. I want to get out of this situation and I want to, I want to do something for God my way. Maybe what God is doing, maybe God is having that choking effect, so to speak, on your life doing that to ensure that you make the right impact in the right right place at the right time. And maybe he's limiting your status. And by doing that, he's actually sparing you from a fruitless life where your life just spreads everywhere and hits nothing. Maybe your desired target and God's desired target for impact are different. Maybe what you need to do is stop wasting your time arguing with God about his sovereignty and his assignment and you just need to pull the trigger right there where you're at and live your life for God. And it'll make an impact. Serve God with your limitations and serve God with your opportunities. Look at verse 21 again. Paul writes, were you a slave when called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Slaves often had the opportunity to gain or even buy their freedom. And God said to them, listen, if that opportunity comes, well then by all means, take it. Just know that a change in status is not a change in spirituality or usefulness to God. If the opportunity for you comes along to get married, and it seems like a great thing. God has brought some godly spouse into your life, and the opportunity to get married comes, and you want to take that? By all means. Take it. Your dream job comes along or maybe the chance to actually climb up that ladder comes and you've been wanting to do that and God brings that before you and it seems right and good and in God's timing. Well, by all means, take it. Just don't forget that you can serve God just as easily in your current situation because it's not about status or condition. The Christian life can be lived by anyone of any status You can serve God wherever you're at in whatever condition you find yourself in. And and by the way, that's no excuse to be lazy. 
well, I'm not going to do anything with my life because it doesn't matter. No, I mean, there are so many principles in Scripture that, that teach us to be industrious. What this does is teach us rather to embrace our situation. I grew up going to a large Christian camp in the summers that actually had almost a thousand campers a week between teenagers and elementary school students. Um, I love that camp. God did a lot of great things in my heart there. Uh, Over the years, God has done so many amazing things in that place, my life included. And after my first year of university, many of my friends went to work at that camp. Um, for the summer as counselors and as operational staff. I thought, oh man, I'd really like to do that with one of my summers. I'd really like to do that this summer. And I wanted to go, but the fact of the matter was that if I was going to return to university the next year, I actually needed to go home. And what I needed to do was make a lot of money. (laughs) Well, by, by my standards at that age at 18, I just needed to go and I needed a job that would allow me to work 60, 70 hours a week and just save and save and save. So that three months later, two months later, I could go back to school. And so I went, I needed to go home and return to my factory job. Well, camp seemed super spiritual. It seemed like big impact. Everything you're doing there is spiritual. And the factory, well, truth be told, the factory was just a means to an end. I don't want to get up at 4 or 5 a.m. and go to the factory. Six days a week, 12-hour days, like, oh. It was just a means to an end. It, It was a place where I could work a lot of hours and make a lot of money that I needed for school. And it was hard for me to see then, but now it's so clear. That's exactly where God wanted me to be that summer. Why is one of those places considered in our minds sometimes more spiritual than the other? Why is it that we even think that way? Because God doesn't. He says, you live your life wherever I have placed you in the scenario that I have given you. And there you will make a huge impact. There are people there. There are scenarios there. The gospel needs to go there. Your light needs to shine there. Because God can change your current situation. Don't worry about what you can't change. Fourth practice of a maximum impact Christian. As I mentioned, I'll move through these next three very quickly. Focus on your new identity. You're going to find yourself prone to view yourself through your earthly lens. And while that's natural, it's not helpful, it's not biblical. And so don't focus on who you are before men. Whatever people see when they look at your status, what does it matter? Don't focus on who you are before men. Focus on who you are before God. And that's where Paul, or that's where the Lord goes in verse 22. For he who is called, he who is called in the Lord, building off this slavery idea, he who is called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free, when called is a slave of Christ. Who are you in God's eyes? Well, you're free in Christ. And what's he referring to? He's referring to the fact that, that spiritually you were a slave. You were once a slave to sin and you've been set free. You've been liberated. You've been released from your bondage. And now what are you? You're a slave to Christ. Christ bought you. And yeah, sure, you may have some earthly master, but now Christ is your real master. You belong to him now. You exist to do his bidding, to obey his commands, to fulfill his wishes and to serve him. And to fulfill your purpose where you're at. God can use your current situation. You need to, don't focus on on, on your earthly identity. Focus on your new identity. You're Christ's slave. Don't get caught or taken up with earthly status 
uh, that of yourself or anybody else you're new in Christ. And a fifth practice of maximum impact Christians, commit to giving God your all. That's verse 23. You were bought with a price. Do not become the slaves of men. I believe this verse is about your allegiance to Christ and ultimately your commitment to him. He bought you with his blood and he deserves your unwavering loyalty. You are his slave now. And so he says, don't become the slaves of men. And he may mean that literally, but in context, he's talking about our our spiritual situation now. And I think what he may be really driving at here in this context is, is more metaphorical and spiritual. The idea being, don't give yourself to what matters to men. Don't become a slave in that way. Don't become a slave to what people think of status. Just commit to giving God your all in whatever situation you find yourself in. Just live your life for God. Committed to Him. You're His slave. And a sixth practice of maximum impact Christians, enjoy God's presence. Look at verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, There let him remain with God. Paul states his uh, main principle for a third time, and yet this time he adds something that's a little bit different. I don't know if you caught what it was. It's just those last two words. He says, do that with God. Whatever your situation is, whatever your status is, God is there with you. He's there to be enjoyed and in worship worship there in your status and situation. He's there to comfort you and to minister to you. He's there to give you grace. He's there to give you strength. He is there with you in your scenario, in your situation. God is not in the place that you want to be. He's where you are. Yes, I mean, we know that God is everywhere, but where has God given you his presence? Not in in some fantasy world of your imagination that is not your life and that does not exist. God is not in the place where you want to be. He's where you're at. He's in your present reality. That's where his presence is. And so enjoy that presence where you are at. God can use your current situation. In fact, he called you in that very situation. So live your life, the life that God has given you for him. Would you bow with me at this time as we conclude this morning?